Hey, it's Jeff Benjamin here again with the Investment News Podcast. Got a couple of Investment News colleagues with us today. My colleague and co-host Bruce Kelly and Emil Halle, our intrepid reporter up there in Maine, wherever the heck that is. Hey, how you guys doing? Bruce, how's it going? I'm great, Jeff. We're going to talk about getting old, growing old today, I guess, yeah. right? And funky ways to... Uh, funky ways to grow old, gracefully or not so gracefully, I guess. Yeah, hopefully getting old, but <laughs> exactly. if Emil's research is true, some of us might find out we're not getting so old. <laughs> Emil, why don't you introduce yourself? I know you've been on this podcast before, but reintroduce yourself and tell us about the, the cover story that you've got coming out that sounds really fascinating. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Bruce. This is Emil. I am the retirement reporter at Investment News. And I was recently tasked with our cover story, the topic for which was just longevity. What does that mean? What does longevity mean? (laughs) How long one lives. Life expectancy. You know, the way that it is often referred to in the industry that we cover is kind of ironically longevity risk, meaning different things. The risk that you will outlive your assets or that someone providing payments to you will have to do so for longer than they expect. So. The angle that I found is that there is a lot of research being done about what they call biological age or how old physiologically someone appears to be based on a look at parts of their chromosomes. So they use DNA, and these are services that are starting to be available in at-home test kits. You take a swab, send it into an office, they analyze it, and they send they send you some results back. And that's kind of a probably a very rough estimate of how old they think you are. So, so Emil, hold um, on. Not- if I'm a financial planner or an advisor, am I going to go to the, what am I going to use this for? And am I just going to go to the drugstore in the corner and buy a kit and swab my client's cheek or something? What's going, I mean, what is the, what is the practical use of this if you're a financial planner or a financial advisor? So first off, if you are a financial planner and you do that, please reach out to me because that is an amazing story. Um, I I don't think that there are too many people out there who rely on these things for financial planning uh, currently. Yes, Um, not yet. But my understanding is that it's like they're generally kind of being used to kind of see what shape somebody might be in. If you have risk factors, if you there are things that you can do to slow down. If you if you're older physiologically than what they call your chronological age or your actual age. What are some things you might be doing that are making you age a little bit faster? Is your diet good? Are you getting enough exercise? Are you intellectually stimulated? What are your social connections like? Those are important things. And the research has indicated that they can have a considerable effect on how quickly you're aging and the health that you're in. So this is taking financial planning from just an exercise that's done on the back of a sheet of paper or the back of a notebook or with a financial planning software or something and making it much more holistic, it seems, right? Or, or trying to use science to somehow broaden the scope of financial planning. Right. Because right now, the standard age of retirement, everybody thinks of it as 65. And it's not really based on, I think, anything reliable right now. It's just a number. And as we all know, people often retire before that out of necessity, or they have to retire later because they have, they don't have enough saved or because they, they love what they do and they want to stay engaged. That's another thing that can help you live even longer. So 
I don't want to say it's another tool in the toolkit because it's not there yet, but what I understand is that it, it very well could be someday. So it's interesting to see where things are headed. Right. Well, Emil, I'm I'm fascinated by this. I really am because I, I know I was joking at the beginning and we were joking before we went live on the show here, but how far are we, do you think, or do you know from your research from actually doing these kind of tests and probably much more sophisticated than a cheek swab, but and being able to tell how long somebody's likely to live, assuming they don't get hit by a bus? <laughs> well, that I think there's an important distinction there, and that is that your biological age doesn't indicate how long you're going to live because there are so many other factors that could go into that. And, you know, one person I talked to said that one of the biggest risks that people have is, in fact, being hit by a car. And there's no test that is going to tell you how <laughs> likely you are to get hit by a car, Yeah, you know, except for maybe the fact that you live in a high density city and you drive or, or you walk on a lot of busy streets. Wait, what was the question again? <laughs> well, I, I was wondering, are we looking really far into the future or kind of a near-term future when this kind of technology and testing is actually applicable to the point where people can say, yeah, your, your DNA or your test suggests that you're probably not going to live long after the age of 65. And, and I'm assuming that's how we're parlaying this into a, a story for investment news is that financial advisors can look at that and say, not only are there things you can do to help you improve your quality of life, but the love the length of your life. But also these are some of the things that you might want to think about if we can get a, a kind of a ballpark figure on you know, your likelihood of living into your 90s or maybe not even past your 60s. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it's that long before it can actually be used as just another kind of measure in all of this planning, because right now we can look at life expectancy averages for men and women in the U.S and kind of use that as a rough guide and advisors can tell clients, okay, if you have this much saved and this is how much you need to spend every month, and this is what you can count on for healthcare expenses and long-term care, this is the, these are the odds that you're going to have enough money by the time you turn 95, by the time you turn 100. But I think it's really useful if you know, you're 55, 60 and you test, take one of these tests and it turns out you are apparently younger than you thought you were. Is retiring at 65 a really good idea? Because if you're in good health, there are studies out there that show that that lack of working, that lack of social engagement, intellectual stimulation, that can be pretty detrimental. So, I mean, it, there are so many things at play there. And it's, it's, I don't think that it's ever bad information to have. How soon we'll have something that is really readily available that we look at as reliable? I mean, I, I can't really say, but there are some people who are studying this and they're looking at things that are not, they're so far beyond just taking a look at somebody's DNA. And they're looking at all these other factors too. They're looking at images of people's faces because apparently that can be some kind of an indication, you know, in conjunction with all of this stuff. But then also looking at the microbiome, which I find so fascinating how our, our gut health says something about our overall health. There are just so many different ways that this can be looked at and studied. And I think we're going to see a lot more about this in the coming years. Well, you're, you're fascinated with the microbiome because you're a, you're a vegan and you live off, I think, butterflies and bee spit or something like that, don't you? Or uh, I don't yes, know. Yes. Everyone eat more mushrooms. Fiber, please. And the mushrooms. <laughs> don't, forget the mus <laughs> don't forget the mushrooms. Yeah, my father-in-law is a mushroom farmer. That's all. That's true. Okay. Up in the That's... woods of Maine. I love yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, you know, for anybody listening, I'll 
whole foods, plant-based diet is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Hey, I got a question for you. And I don't know if this might be putting you on the spot, but I'm, when I hear these life expectancy numbers, okay, the current life expectancy for a man in the United States is, I don't know what that is right now, but if it's, let's say it's 78. Okay. Well, is it 78 for somebody born today? Is it 78 for somebody who's 50 today? I, I don't, I never understood that. You know, my dad's going to be 80 this year and he's unfortunately not very healthy, but I think he's already exceeded the life expectancy of people that were born the same year he was born. So what, where does oh. that, what is that life expectancy? Um, you are putting me What's on the spot a little bit there. It's 78.6 okay. years currently. Uh-huh. And I should add, you know, that's that's up from 54 in the year 1920. And mm -hmm. in 1900, it was just 47 years. So it's gone it's up pretty dramatically. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily the number for someone who is born today. No, no, no. My kids um, were born are 13 and their life expectancy is far beyond yours and mine, Professor Benjamin. I think the 78 figures for guys like us. My children's life expectancy, though, I mean, they could live is is into their 80s. Yeah, I, I just got to I always hear that number. And I'm like, is that for people in 2020, the life expectancy? Or is it, it's just kind of yeah. a weird thing to throw out yeah. there because it's such a moving target. And it's the kind of thing we probably all should have done research on before I raised it. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 you know, one of the sources I talked to said that it's so hard for someone who's 40 years old today. It's so hard to say what their life expectancy could be because of all of the advances in different disease detection and treatment that we have today and going forward. You know, we don't know what tomorrow is going to be. So how how do you really another know? Coronavirus. Could, you know, and that that's another aspect of the story. This is something that short term is definitely going to have a very small effect on life expectancy. Uh, U.S. and it is, you know, predominantly the mortality rate is, is a lot higher in in older folks, and this, you know, this has uh, implications for our industry. Well, not not our industry, but the industry we cover. This for pension plans. This some of them, I believe, the word that someone I interviewed used was bittersweet because this could have an effect on their liabilities. But obviously, it's the the pandemic is a terrible thing and. There's nothing good about a million people worldwide dying from this and, and the people who will continue to do so going forward. Yeah, I, I, I saw that in your, in your story also, the, the references to, uh, maybe I think I saw it in your story or maybe I just imagined it, but the references to the bittersweet part of as far as if you have all these people dying worldwide, majority of them, I think, older. Yeah, that does look like a, a silver lining to pension plans. and people that are on the hook for that kind of liability, including Social Security, for example. So that, that's an interesting point, Jeff. And regarding silver linings, that was something that came up with my editor when we were talking about this story, because it, it seemed as though one of the possibilities that would happen as a result of this pandemic and the effect on the economy and people losing their jobs and the ability to retire when they plan to is that people are going to end up in the workforce longer. And there is a lot of research showing that if people spend more years in the workforce, they end up living longer as a result of it. They're engaged, 
they're able to be social with coworkers, they get a sense of satisfaction, hopefully with what they do. And the silver lining there was, okay, you know, maybe as a result of this, some folks end up living longer than they might have otherwise. At least a few of the sources I talked to for the story said that, yeah, that's, that's very possible. It's not clear that that's going to be the case, but it's one of the possible outcomes. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I, I, to me, I was, like I said, I was fascinated by the idea that, you know, a lot of people work for the goal of retiring and maybe retiring early, but then you see people like Warren Buffett. I don't know how old he is, but he's clearly working to some degree and he seems vibrant. You see a lot of people that are we have two people running for president that are well past the age of retirement. That's debatable as to how well they're actually doing, but they are. They seem I don't to want to go act- down this road. <laughs> oh, I don't either. I'm just saying that they're, you know, they're, they're active, they're lucid, they're, they're moving around. They're not sitting there watching television all day and falling asleep at four o'clock in the afternoon. Like, like I do sometimes. Boy, that sounds great to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, it is a great, you know, staying active, keeping moving, keeping doing things and, and having a purpose. I mean, people that don't have hobbies and stuff like that, if you retire, sometimes they just, they, they stop doing cause they don't, they don't have anything else. So it is an interesting thing to think about. And I love how this all starts to fold together with financial services and financial planning. Cause to me, the, the cutting edge advisors are going to be paying attention to this stuff and, and making it eventually part of their, you know, their research and their, their client analysis and risk profiling and stuff like that. I love that. the science fiction aspect of it. The, the high tech, it's almost like, you know, that old movie or novel Logan's run from the seventies where. He, oh man, that was a weird <laughs> with movie. The, with Richard Chamberlain, I think, or Robert Yorker. What was the phrase? Was it carousel? Is yeah, that what they kept saying? I think so. And so once you hit 20 or 30 or something, you go into the chamber and then you come out, then a baby slides down the car- into the carousel or whatever. Because <laughs> at 30, you're useless. You have to be reborn and you get the same name. And they all think that their souls are being cycled in this way, but they're really just walking into the abattoir to get their heads cut off or whatever. And uh, <laughs> not an ideal retirement it's system. Just, it, I, lo- I love the high, the high tech gizmo aspect of these things. That's what I found fascinating too about the story of Meal. It's just the science involved in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there another interesting kind of point about this whole thing is that there's there's also going to potentially be an effect on things like annuity pricing as a result of the pandemic. But then you know as this technology becomes more prevalent more accurate, more used, people become more accepting of it. It could factor into the rates that people pay for different products. Becoming um, more expensive, for example. I would imagine, right? Well, you never know. So <laughs> one of the interesting things, and this is not in the story, but I, I learned something about a difference in annuity rates between the US and the UK. And that is that your health in the UK can help determine what payout rates you get from an annuity. And the worse health you're in, the higher the payout rate, because the assumption is you're not going to live as long. And the first question that came to mind when someone told me that, and it kind of blew my mind, was like, okay, well, who's going to try to game the system? Yeah. Who's going to go have a bunch of cheeseburgers, eat all the cookies, (laughs) make their cholesterol go through the roof, 
for, before that blood test, before they sign a policy or, or, or however it works. I'm pretty unfamiliar with it, so, so I, I shouldn't say, but apparently that's something that people have to watch out for. That is interesting. You get you get more money for being less healthy. So you go in there and I'm assuming you can't just lie and say, yeah, I smoke, I drink, I bungee jump. <laughs> um, you know, this is what I want. Give me an annuity to last for me for the next 15 minutes. You know? And then the next thing you know, you're, you're a liar. I'm a <sighs> vegan. Whatever. Well, you know, church I, I, twice I think... a week. <laughs> You know, the, the, the expectation is, I think, that the insurance companies end up paying out probably the same amount or target amount per person with an equivalent policy, just over a different amount of time. Yeah, I usually give the insurance companies a lot of credit for their actuarial skills and being able to figure out how to just come out ahead. But, Emil, you're familiar with long-term care insurance. I mean, you probably weren't in this industry when it first came out, but a lot of those early policies were written with really low premiums and the the insurance industry, I think, took a big hit. Yes, for that. they did. And they've since kind of revised those things where they're less attractive now. But if you got in it's early. It's much more expensive. Long-term, long-term care insurance is much more expensive now than it used to be. 20 years ago, it was really being heavily promoted, too. You know, it was being sold. Oh, yeah. Really it was there, everybody was yeah. pushing it. It was the big thing. Everybody, every advisor or insurance broker or whatever had to, had to have that in their pocket. So what, yeah, I actually wrote about that a couple months ago and the, the folks I talked to said that now the rates are more sustainable, but because the policies are less attractive, clients are starting to use other things to potentially cover long-term care costs like annuities. That's one consequence of that business changing a little bit and, and the premiums rationalizing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we've we've exhausted this topic. Emil, really good story. I encourage everyone to track it down. It's our cover story this coming Monday when this podcast drops. I think it's going to be a, a great story and thought-provoking and probably something that is going to develop a lot faster than any of us could imagine. But I'll be looking forward to finding out how long I'm going to live. And then, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll figure out. I how ran to, the numbers for you, Jeff. It's 104. <laughs> Things are looking good, buddy. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to work till 103 then. So. <laughs> well, good thing Excellent. you like what you do. That's yeah. great. Hey, exactly. All right. Well, uh, thank you for being here, Emil, from the great state of Maine. And it's always fun talking to you. And keep up the good work and keep growing those mushrooms, brother. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, thank Bruce. Thank you. Okay, that was good stuff, learning a lot about longevity and the consequences. But Bruce, we got something from you this week about the prevalence of racism in financial services. It just doesn't seem to go away. Or is it getting worse? Is it getting better? What did you find? You know, it's such a it's such a a weird, strange time with people feeling very little inhibition to make insulting remarks at racist type remarks to other people in public. It's a very strange time for our country and which is going through, which this summer saw very serious protests, right? Mm -hmm. About racial injustice and the like. Yeah. And that has spilled over into these confrontations, which we've been writing about for the past few months between people in the financial services business and people of color or minorities, right? 
mm-hmm. back in May, if you recall. This was the first one, and it was right around the time of the George Floyd killing, and that set off these Black Lives Matter protest, protest marches in many cities around the country. Back in May, Franklin Templeton fired an employee after in New York City after she had a confrontation with an African-American man in Central Park, which was caught on video, right? And she mm-hmm. claimed, I'm going to call the police on you or something. I think she had her dog off the leash, and the guy said, could you please put your dog on the leash? And she freaked out on him. She got fired. And then a month later in June, Raymond James, citing its zero tolerance for racism, fired a senior bond manager in San Francisco after he and his, his girlfriend or his wife or a friend of his were mm-hmm. caught on video, again, video, confronting a San Francisco man who was stenciling of the Black Lives Matter slogan on, on the apartment building or apartment house where he lived. So that's two people fired. Now you can add to the list another person, this time a registered broker named Jim, James Hilburn from Southern California, who this month again was on video, accused of telling a Korean-American fashionista, social media person, to, quote, go back to Wuhan while at a restaurant in Newport Beach. <laughs> I mean, you're out, you're having uh, Bloody Marys or lunch or something in Newport Beach. It's beautiful. <laughs> You've been cooped up because of the coronavirus. And then you're going around telling this Korean woman to go back to Wuhan, you know? Prudential put out a tweet. So that set off a social media firestorm. We were actually a little late to the story. We did our story after the New York Post did its story and a couple of other publications. But Prudential, they put out a tweet saying we're no longer employing this person. After thoroughly investigating the instant incident in Newport Beach, we have made the decision to end our relationship with the financial representative. Mm-hmm. The gentleman's name was is James Hilbrandt. We tried to reach out to him. I, I, he's taken his profile page down from LinkedIn. I called information and tried to get his information and, and there was nobody with a listing like that. So we couldn't, we reached out to the gentleman involved here. We couldn't get a comment from him, but Prudential essentially confirmed their statement, you know, to mm-hmm. us. And it just seems, it, it's just a weird uh, time. I mean, Jeff, you and I, we've been doing this a long time as we remind each other. And I don't know if it's social media or what, but people seem to feel like they can just insult people randomly. And I don't get it. I spoke with Jason Lahita, who's, you know, a PR person who's been around this industry forever. And he said, hey, there's no spin to uh, racism. (laughs) There's no PR spin for this. Yeah. Uh, Stop. Just stop being a racist. So that's his advice. I, I just think the because of the, 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 the Black Lives Matters protests and the President Trump's rhetoric around race is often vitriolic and insensitive. I think people could agree with that. It just, I've never seen anything like this, and I'm kind of astounded, is all mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah, I, my thinking on this is that I'm people not are getting sure. fired for saying stupid stuff. Right. But my point is that. I mean, first of all, everybody's got a recording device in their hand now. Yes. So, and there's really no way of measuring only, the only way of measuring it is by how many of these things get recorded and posted somewhere. But 
there's no way of knowing if we didn't have the same amount of people or the same percentage of people doing the same kind of things. You just, nobody was recording it. You just went home and grumbled to somebody and said, guess what just happened to me today? But now people do it. They put it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And, and these companies, these financial services companies in this age of sensitivity, no company is going to stand there and say, well, you know, this is just a one-off incident. We're going to give this guy another chance to send him to sensitivity training. They're going to say, no, we have ended our, terminated our relationship with that person. So that's not our problem anymore. Yeah, but this is very pronounced, I think, and it seems to have coincided with with protests in this country, too. Right. I mean, we didn't have this, you know, people had iPhones a year ago or two years ago or four years ago. And I don't remember a broker being fired four years ago saying stuff like this. Yeah, well, it's you're right. There's a lot of protesting out there. And. I mean, These go back the, to Wuhan as a specific reference to pe- some people in this in this country, again, taking their cue from the president as identifying this as the as the coronavirus, as the, the COVID-19, as, as the Wuhan flu. So they are. T- it's, it seems like that is a reference. So I think something interesting also on on we talked about this off the podcast and o- also on Twitter is that, you know, I think a couple of people tweeted out saying, oh, people are being so overly sensitive now, you know, and people shouldn't get fired for this or something like that. I, I just think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think this is a real problem. And, and you mentioned the, the whole issue with Ken Fisher, people being very sensitive to speech. You know, he was at a conference, it was about a year ago, I guess that yeah. all happened, right? Last yeah. October, last November, something like that, at that big conference out in California. Tiburon. Uh, that Chip Rome, yeah, that Tiburon and Chip Rome have, which has a lot of heavy hitters and and a couple of people were offended by some of his remarks, which they took to be the Ken Fisher's remarks, which they took to be extremely sexist. And Ken Fisher is a kind of guy who's always presented himself as off the cuff and I'm a tough talker and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And this is is this cancel culture or is it or are we just learning <laughs> to be more racially sensitive or are people being more racially insensitive in reaction to, to, to the protests. I just got to agree with Jason Lahita. There's, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's some things that you just, there's no spin. There's no way to spin that to make it. But as, as we have talked about in the past, Ken Fisher has been around this industry for a long time. He's probably been making those same or similar comments in public and at conferences and in conference rooms for a long time. But Oh, without a doubt. He without just a doubt. stepped on the wrong toes in that case. And uh, a lot of people said, yeah, you know what? That's right. Why should we have to sit here and listen to that? Right. And now things have changed. I mean, it, it was a tipping point. And it was point. a youngish advisor, Alex Chalakian, I believe, yeah. right? Who's, you know, he's, he's not a spring chicken. He's, a, he's, he's in his late 30s or early 40s, I imagine. But he, that's definitely an advisor on the younger side who kind of put up his hand and, and called uh, nonsense on, on, on Fisher. But that was a tipping point. And that did a lot of people took notice. A lot of people. That's a good way to put it. Looked within. And a lot of people started to say, you know what, maybe we are too casual and too insensitive about a lot of these things. To me, that's progress. That is an example of progress. Cause I think that did have the Ken Fisher thing will, will go down as a somewhat of a turning point because it did have a lot of people looking inward and, and thinking about how they act in this industry, at least. At least I felt that way from conferences I went to immediately following the Ken Fisher incident and, and since. 
Oh, I haven't gone to one in a while, but yeah, last year. And uh, it did feel like it was out there. I don't know. I mean, the racism thing, you know, sexism and racism, you tend to lump them together, but they're, they shouldn't be lumped together, right. I don't think. And you're right. Like Jason Lahita said, there's no way of defending people on video making comments that are racially insensitive. I mean, what are you going to say? I also think you have to keep in mind, like, where does this industry come from? 15 or 16, 17 years ago, there was a famous party thrown by one of the, I won't mention who it is, but thrown by one of the all-time big non-traded REIT uh, guys, right? Oh, yeah. I know and, what you're talking about. <laughs> and it was a kind of a Civil War dress-up party. And, and he was uh, General Robert E. Lee, of course. And I was thrown, it was, a after, it was a party associated with one of the big industry meetings at the time. And he was handing out $100 bills to people on, the, on their way in to, to the event. So he sooner or later find this guy. But the, it didn't include all these details about this, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, this, this kind of civil war, the South theme, the Southern theme of the party. So, I mean, that's where this industry is coming from. There's the old timers that were, had no problem celebrating certain old timers had no problem celebrating the South. Right. Mm-hmm. And could you imagine if something like that were to go off today? I mean, it would be, no, it wouldn't, it, it, it would, that would it wouldn't not, be allowed to happen. Yeah. It would, uh, but 15, 16, would, 17 years ago, eh, no problem. Yeah. But again, I see, I, I agree. You can look at this now in hindsight and you say, my gosh, how did anybody not stop that? But to me, the fact that we know for a fact that this would never even get off the drawing board table is progress. You know what I mean? I mean, we're not perfect, yes. this industry, and we're, yes. we've got a long way to go. But if we can look back right now as recently as 10 or 15 years ago and see how far we've come, I don't know. I look at that as, as progress and with a lot of progress yet to be made. So I agree. You know, let's let's take our lumps and say it made us better. Or it's making us better, hopefully. I agree. But I just these just to it's 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 sad to me to have racism is a, makes you sad. It makes you angry. It makes hits you in a lot of different ways. You and I, of course, are two middle aged white guys. So we don't are not. Uh, face directly with these things, but it still upsets you. And I, I just don't, I mean, the confrontations, I mean, this, this uh, Korean fashionista woman out with her friend or her sister at lunch and having to go through this, mm-hmm. I just, I, it, 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 I hate it, you know. I hear you. We can do better. We got to do better, my friend. Hey, Jeff, that was an interesting podcast from longevity to the, the current state of, of our industry and, and what people are saying and thinking. Mm-hmm. And if it's Monday, it must be time for another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to take a minute just to thank our special guest today, Emil Ale. Catch his story on longevity, our cover story for the week at Investment News. We also want to say thank you to our tech guy, the one and only Steve Lamb. And the podcast can be found, of course, at investmentnews.com. You can also get it where you get all your other podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. If you're using Apple 
please leave us a review. They have five stars. They have stars there. I think you can write in a review as well. You can also follow us on Spotify. I love following people on Spotify. If you want to reach us directly, feel free to just hit us with a tweet. Jeff Benjamin, you can reach it on Twitter at Benji Writer. And Bruce Kelly, me, I'm Bruce Kelly. You can reach me at BD News Guy. So thanks for listening, and we'll be talking to you next week.